As we stand, let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, for these great truths we've been singing. Eternal love in you we rest, forever safe, forever blessed. We thank you that the Lord Jesus has done the most amazing thing to give us uh, an eternity which is certain and secure and wonderful. We've sung earlier, we will follow, we will listen, we'll love you. And so now we pray that in the light of all you've done for us, that we would uh, listen carefully to what you say to us tonight, be ready to follow you and love you in obedience, that others too may enjoy the things we've been singing of, the eternal love, forever safe, forever blessed. Amen. Well, do please turn in your Bibles to uh, Luke chapter 15, uh, the uh, reading that we've just uh, had read for us by Joan there, Luke 15 and verses 1 to 7, the parable of the lost sheep, and uh, we continue in this series looking through uh, parables in Luke's Gospel. Uh, Luke 15 verses 1 to 7, page 1048 is the page number if you have a church Bible. Luke 15 verses 1 to 7 and the parable of the lost sheep. I wonder if you've ever had one of those moments that you wish would last forever. You had one of those moments? Maybe it's just been a little, maybe it's been a long moment. Maybe it's been a a holiday, a perfect holiday. An evening out with the love of your life. A walk in the hills enjoying the beauty of creation. A simple moment in the back garden. That's what it was for me this week. In the back garden, with the children happily playing. That doesn't happen very often, but it was there. The sun gloriously shining. That happens quite a lot up here now, I know that. Caroline sitting with me. It was just perfect. I wanted to bottle the moment to keep it forever. And then the telephone rang and I went indoors and the moment was shattered when I heard that a friend's dad had died. Gone. Moments later I turned on the television to watch the news and I came face to face with the human catastrophe that is unfolding in the Middle East. No matter how good life is, we're surrounded by sadness and death and pain I'm reminded of it as I go to visit people in hospital and as I meet with people whose hearts are broken by others cheating on them. The great news is the Lord wants to take us away from all that to a place where those bottled moments do last forever. Where there's no more mourning or crying or pain or suffering or death. He wants to give us for eternity those moments that we simply cannot hold on to in this life. And yet, people refuse his invitation. Isn't that astonishing? See, that's what we saw last week. We saw the lengths the Lord will go to to invite his people to his banquet. The banquet being the first event of all eternity in the new creation. When we go to spend all eternity with Jesus in the new creation, the first thing we're going to do is sit down and have an enormous banquet because it's such good news. And the Lord wants us to enjoy that, not just us, but everyone. Yet, astonishingly, men and women refuse his invitation. And they come out with the most lame excuses. That's what we saw last week. Let me remind you of it. If you weren't here last week, or or, or if you were, just to refresh your memory. Luke chapter 14, verse 16. Jesus told this parable, you see. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who'd been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another, I've just got married so I can't come. 
lame excuses when the God of all creation gives the most amazing invitation to enjoy this banquet and then all eternity with him. Of course, it's no surprise to us, not if we're living in the real world. I meet people all the time who are simply not interested when I talk to them about eternity. I'm talking to them about that thing which is going to last forever and they're bothered about the little nitty-gritty of life now, which is soon going to be gone. They haven't got time to come to the Open to Questions course. They say they're not interested in religion, even though I don't want to talk to them about religion. We know the reality of this parable in our own lives, don't we? we? If we're Christian and we're talking about Jesus, people refuse the invitation that God offers. And those who were first to refuse the greatest invitation that could ever be given were the religious elite of Jesus' day, the Pharisees. And so, as we saw last week in the parable, the Lord extended his invitation to the most unlikely characters. The religious people of the day didn't want it. So, what does the Lord say? Well, look at uh, verse 21 of chapter 14. Halfway through, the Lord says, Go out and uh, quickly into the streets and alleys of the towns and bringing the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. And they do that and there's still room in his kingdom in his, uh, to his banquet. And so he says in verse 23, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. And as we come to the beginning of chapter 15, that is exactly what Jesus is doing. Look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Here is Jesus, um, as it were, acting out the parable in real life going to the most unlikely characters, tax collectors and sinners, and he's eating with them, verse 2. Do you see it there? Uh, Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 15, here are sinners eating with God. It's an aperitif, a, a little foretaste of the banquet in the new creation. Here's the parable being worked out. And as Jesus ate with people from the Galilean underworld, prostitutes and pimps and religious no-hopers, as Jesus ate with them, I guess inviting them to spend all eternity with him in the new creation where there would be an even greater banquet and where there would be no more pain and suffering and crying and death. As Jesus did that, the religious establishment hated it. They hated him. See verse 2? The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Uh, Verses 1 and 2 introduce us to two human groups. In verse 1, the irreligious person, and in verse 2, the religious person. In verse 1, the disreputable person, and in verse 2, the respectable person. And what a surprise. It is in verse 1, the rank outsider who wants to talk to Jesus, while verse 2, the religious elite are disgusted by him. I say it's a surprise, but it isn't really. When we think about it, it's very contemporary. You see, the church often isn't very attractive to the outsider. But present the real Jesus to people, the Jesus of the Bible, and they find him very attractive indeed. Noel Edmonds, presenter of Deal or No Deal. Do you spend your time? No, of course you don't. I'm a vicar. I have lots of time during the day to watch Deal or No Deal, but you all have to work... Uh, Well, I I watch daytime television just to pass the time. And uh, Noel Edmonds said once, church is the most boring experience on offer. He obviously hasn't watched his own show, but there we go. Um, (laughs) 
no, actually, he's true, isn't he? Often I meet people who've been put right off church, but who are fascinated by Jesus. Jesus is strong and decisive. He is dynamic and revolutionary. He is kind and compassionate. He is a fascinating and charismatic character. Well, here are people in verse 1 who'd been put off by religion, but who were fascinated by Jesus. Uh, The second great surprise in these opening verses is that the church of Jesus' day, listen, was entirely out of sympathy with the values and purposes of Christ. He spent time with tax collectors and sinners and they hated him for it. Well, I say it's a surprise, but again, when we think about it, that's not a surprise at all. It's remarkably contemporary. So much of the church today is out of sync with Jesus. We've got to check that we're not. Here's the front page of last Sunday's newspaper. Uh, One of the headlines on the front page, it's a sin to fly, says church. Taking an aeroplane on holiday contributes to climate change and as as do uh, gas-guzzling cars, and that is wrong. We shouldn't be going on our holidays on an aeroplane. Well, I'm not, so that makes me feel very good about myself. But that's what the Bishop of London only because I couldn't get a cheap deal, incidentally, otherwise I would have done. But, um, but that's what the Bishop of London is encouraging his clergy to preach, more green sermons. Now, now, please don't mishear me. I'm not saying that Christians should not be interested in the environment. We should. But it isn't our core business. And having come from London Diocese, I can assure you there's an awful lot more of gospel proclamation we need to be doing than getting down to preaching green sermons and telling people not to get on their, uh, go on their holidays on an aeroplane. There's more important things to be talking about. So much of the church in Britain is talking about things that are completely irrelevant. Listen to key church leaders when they have a chance to speak into current affairs issues. Listen to the way our bishops just drone on and say nothing. Have you noticed it? Our bishops seem to have a gift bordering on the genius for calling a spade a unihandled longitudinal horticultural implement. (laughs) So much of the church has lost any evangelistic edge. It is a critical moment when the church is out of sympathy with the values and purposes of Christ and that's what's going on here. Jesus is living out the parable of the great banquet, inviting outsiders in. Inviting outsiders to enjoy all eternity with him where there's no more death or crying or pain, nothing. Just wonder with him. And religious people hate it. And it's into that situation that Jesus tells us the parable of the lost sheep. Now with that context in place, it rids us of any sentimentality we may have when we read this story. This is not a lovely little Sunday school story about cute little lambs. Well, I mean, it is a lovely little Sunday school story and I love telling my children about it, but that's not the point. Jesus was prompted to tell this parable about the lost sheep because the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the religious people of the day, you and me, were so against him eating with sinners. See verse 2, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. And what does this parable teach us? I guess many of you, if you've been around church things for long, you've read this story many times. What does this parable actually teach us 
Well, it teaches us first that it's godly to do evangelism. Look at verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And remember, Jesus told this parable in response to the Pharisees' objection to him spending time with tax collectors and sinners. So presumably, the shepherd in the parable is Jesus. Jesus, the good shepherd, seeking out the lost sheep. Jesus, a God, is the supreme evangelist, seeking out the lost. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what God is like. He goes looking for the lost. So to be godly, that is to be like God, we too must be about evangelism. But the Pharisees weren't. That's why he told the story. Christian, do you know what you were chosen for? You've been chosen as a Christian. Do you know what you were chosen for? You were chosen to become more and more like Jesus. Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. We have been chosen to be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, to become more like Jesus. Well, look, here is the son, the good shepherd, going out of his way to reach the lost. To be godly, then, will mean being evangelistic. Indeed, do you see the point? You cannot be godly if you are not evangelistic. Now, don't mishear me. There is, of course, more to godliness than evangelism, but there is certainly not less. And the religious people of the day had given up on it. They were so wrapped up in themselves that they no longer were bothered about the lost. It's godly to do evangelism. Second, it's our danger not to. See, again, remember the context, verses 1 and 2. The Pharisees were turning up their nose at Jesus for spending time with tax collectors and sinners. That's why Jesus told this parable. And whether we like it or not, the people we're most likely to be like in this story are the Pharisees. Uh, Somebody wished me a happy Christmas this week. I went to the dentist, and and as I paid for the privilege of being subjected to 20 minutes of pain, um, the the receptionist booked up my next appointment, my next appointment with agony, as I like to call it, Uh, in six months' time. I don't have to have anything done for six more months. Great. Mind you, it's been seven years since I last went, so that's a result. But anyway, I booked up for, for six months' time, January. And as she handed me the appointment card, she wished me a happy Christmas because she knew she wouldn't be seeing me between now and then. It was a bit early, but once the glorious weather has gone, I'll be looking forward to it. I love Christmas. And there's all sorts of things I love about Christmas. I love going to the pantomime. You like pantomime? On come the goodies. Hooray! On come the baddies. Boom! You can join in if you like. The danger is we read the Bible like a pantomime. Jesus comes on. The the Pharisees come on. That was woeful. That is a very dangerous way to read the Bible, not only because you seem a bit of an idiot when you're doing it on your own, but it's a very dangerous way to read the Bible because as we boo the Pharisees, we dismiss them. And we don't think we're anything like them because we never relate to the baddies. Have you noticed it when you watch a film, a Hollywood movie? You always relate to the hero, don't you? 
You never think you're the villain. So the minute we booed the baddies, the Pharisees, we've written them off and we don't think we're like them. That is not true. The truth is, it is the Pharisees we're most likely to be like. And the Pharisees wouldn't be seen dead with tax collectors and sinners. I've met a lot of Christians who are functional Pharisees. In principle, they have no problem with spending time with sinners, but in practice, they never do. They're functional Pharisees. Too many of us are like that for all sorts of reasons. Some good reasons, some bad ones. Here's a good reason. We like spending time with Christians. That's a good thing. We should spend time with Christians. But the danger is we spend all our time with Christians. Here's another good reason why we don't do it. We want to get involved in church things. That's a good thing. We should be involved in church things. The danger is that we, that we go to so many worthy meetings that we don't have any time to spend with unbelievers. Have you noticed that? And then, of course, there's bad reasons why we don't spend time with unbelievers. And, of course, this is what the Pharisees were like. They thought too highly of themselves. You see, they were religious. They were good people. They must spend time with sinners. That's why they looked down their noses at Jesus, verse 2. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. See, when we become Christians, our lives should change. We should be distinctively different to the world. But all the time that that happens, and it really should be happening, we should be getting better, as it were. All the time that happens, the danger is that we begin to think that we're morally superior to unbelievers. And we look down at them. Have you noticed you're doing that? I'm doing it all the time. You look down at people that, that, that aren't as good as you. And then you won't want to spend time with them. Because they're sinners. Look, it is godly to do evangelism. It is like God. It is our danger not to do it because we're like the Pharisees. But thirdly, it is crucial that we do do evangelism. You see, this simple story, if there's one point, it's this. It is that every one matters to God. Verse 4. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? See, as Jesus tells this story, he's asking the Pharisees, which of you wouldn't do that? He says to the Pharisees, look, just suppose you had a flock of sheep. Imagine that you weren't a Pharisee at the moment. Imagine that you're a shepherd, and imagine you had a big flock, and one of them was lost. Wouldn't you go and look for them? Wouldn't you leave the others behind and go and look for them? It's a great question for the Pharisees, isn't it? It's obvious what he's saying. If you had a flock of sheep, would you not go off and search for a stray? Of course you would. Then why won't you go out of your way for people who've gone astray? They're far more important than sheep. Look, if sheep don't work for you, what about pets? I think of a, a friend who lost her cat. We search for that jolly cat for days. I can't tell you how much time was spent searching for that cat. Turned out it was locked in a shed in someone else's back garden for days. After that, my friend kept her cat locked in the house, but then it escaped again after church one night, and I was called in to search for the moggy again. Well, this time we saw it quite quickly. It grabbed it from under some bushes near my friend's house, held it tightly by the scruff of the neck I did, and carried it towards the house, and then I felt this warm sensation. <laughs> Sadly, it wasn't the glow of having done a good deed. The cat was emptying its bladder all over me, all down my suit. It was a dark suit, so it didn't show, so that was good. But We go looking for lost pets. 
If we had a flock of sheep, we go looking for a stray. Jesus says to the religious, if you do go looking for sheep or a cat, if you'll do that, then why won't you go looking for lost people? Are they not worth so much more? Of course they are. Everyone matters to God. Do you know what that means about you? You are not just one in a crowd. You are one in a million. Isn't that wonderful? You're one in a million. God loves you that much. And he does everyone. You matter to God and so does everyone. Even the most undesirable, sinners, tax collectors, prostitutes, convicts, individuals matter. It is the cornerstone of our Christian civilization. believing this, that everyone matters is at the heart of the euthanasia debate. It's at the heart of the abortion issue. Everyone matters. You see, put like that, it is so obvious to us, or at least I hope it is, but we keep forgetting it. And we certainly forget that it comes from us having a Christian heritage. Where does Islam stand on this? Is the infidel to be killed or as with Jesus to be saved? Islam is very clear. The infidel is to be eradicated, yet here is Jesus is why he is nothing like the God of Islam. Please, let's get rid of that nonsense that says all gods are the same, all religions need the same God. It is absolute nonsense. Here is Jesus going into the highways and byways to find the lost, to find the infidel, not to blow them up. Individuals matter. And that is something that we must keep teaching. It is not basic to human thinking. Just think about yourself. Never mind the, uh, the Islamists. Just think about yourself. How many times are you not bothered about people? It is not basic to human nature to think that everyone matters. When Christ vanishes from society, see what happens. Think back to the last century. What happens when Christ vanishes? In Hitler's Germany, Stalin's Russia, Mao's China. Millions are treated as of no value. Treated like animals, exterminated like vermin. That is what is happening in this nation as we come to accept the legalising of abortion. Where are Christians speaking against such a horror? Every day, innocent individuals are exterminated and we've lost any sense of shock. We treat our pets better. Everyone matters. And what will that mean in evangelism? Well, verse 4, it means leaving the 99 behind and looking for the one. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. Jesus spent time with tax collectors and sinners. He notices God doesn't expect sinners to come to him. They never will, actually. But that's what many religious people expect sinners to do. Expect unbelievers to come into their building. You see, Jesus didn't do what my parents used to do just before they went to bed with their cat. They'd open the front door and shout into the night, Fluffy! Something I could never do, but there we go. I'm far too proud for that. But it was dark. Fluffy! And then they'd rattle the box of food, you know, the go cat. Fluffy! Fluffy! Expecting Fluffy to come running home. That's what we do with unbelievers. We stand in our churches and rattle the message of the gospel and expect people to come running in. Please, we must not expect people to come to us. We need to go out of our way to spend time with unbelievers, as Jesus did. 
We need to run evangelistic events that are not in this building, but on their territory, wherever that is. Leaving the 99 behind, going after the 1, verse 4. That's what it means for us as a congregation. What will it mean for us as individuals? Well, for us as a congregation, look, if Britain was 99% Christian, just imagine it, wouldn't that be great? The churches in this land full. All the churches full. They've built loads of other churches all over the place. We can't get everyone in. 99% of the congregation, not just churchgoers, real Christian. Imagine it. Do you know what this parable would tell us? It would say, go and look, out, go and look out for the 1%. You haven't done the job yet. Because everyone matters. We need to hear this because there's a huge danger when a church is, is foolish to thinking the job is done. Here's why church planting is so helpful. Every time people leave this building and create space, it should give us a desire to fill up the spaces again. And we need to do it because there are thousands of individual people, real people, people who are real mums and dads and who are real children and, and grandchildren, people with real lives and real hurts, people here in Fullwood, thousands of them of real individuals who don't yet believe. Thousands who are drifting to a lost eternity and everyone matters, this parable tells me. In the last years, I've been leading missions around the country and I've seen it again and again. Large churches think they've done the job because they see other churches that are half empty and everybody tells them how successful they are. And it's not that they're not into evangelism but they've just not made it a priority anymore. Because they don't need to, because they're full, they've got all the money they need, they're okay, they can do whatever they want. But I won't think like that if I believe that everyone matters. I won't think like that anymore. Well, if that's what it means to us as a church family, what does it mean to us as individuals? Jesus left the 99 and went after the one. It means if we have 99 Christian friends and one unbelieving friend, then we should spend time with the one. And I wouldn't be at all surprised if some of, some of us have got about that sort of ratio of friends, Christian to unbeliever. Verse 4, the shepherd left the 99 in the open country. It'll mean some pretty radical change of lifestyle. It'll mean rearranging my diary, making spending time with unbelievers a priority. It means going to them He left the 99, went looking for the one. We must go to them. Think about it seriously over the summer, will you? Think about how you can rearrange your diary, adjust your priorities. Well, that's if you want to obey the Lord. We said we did in our songs. I blocked out every Wednesday night to play tennis at the tennis club. Now, let me tell you, that is really hard to do that. Because there's always other things that are crowding in, always more important things to do. You're just going to go and play tennis. Well, he's not very committed to his job, is he? You mean you won't come and lead a Bible study at our Bible study? No, I'm sorry, I've got to go and meet with unbelievers. Well, what sort of vicar have we got? It won't always go down well if you do this. We've got to go and meet people on their territory. Because individuals matter. And you know how much they matter? Look at the rejoicing in this parable, verse 5. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me. Notice, everybody's rejoicing. I found my lost sheep. And then here's the explanation to it, verse 7. I tell you that in the same way, there'll be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents 
than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Can you believe it? Jesus and the angels in heaven celebrate when somebody becomes a, a Christian. They throw a party. Jelly and ice cream, party hats, blowers, everything. They're having a party over one sinner who's repenting. I wonder if there's someone here who's never yet repented, who's never yet actually turned to Jesus. Do you see how much he loves you? He loves you enough to have died on a cross for you. And he loves you enough that he keeps searching for you and maybe you've had that feeling of him him calling you back again and again and again and you can't get away from it. And He loves you enough that if you became a Christian tonight there would be a party in heaven for you. Is that wonderful? The angels in heaven would be rejoicing because you repented. Give them the opportunity to, re- to, to party, will you? Tonight. Yet here are the religious leaders in verse 2 turning their noses up at Jesus for spending time with unbelievers. And that's the danger for us, the religious people. We want it to be all about us. I've heard Christians get worked up that at Christmas and Easter the services will be overrun with unbelievers. That their Easter will be hijacked. That they won't be able to have their Easter communion in peace. That is wicked. It is Pharisaism. It is horrible. And how different from heaven who throw a party when people become Christians. We should be thrilled when there are any attempts to reach out to the lost because that's what God is doing. Beware if you're irritated by notices about evangelistic events. Beware if you're not rejoicing when you hear of people becoming Christians. Beware because you're becoming a Pharisee. Individuals matter. And when we're convinced of that, there's no greater joy than seeing someone become a Christian. Jesus rejoices and the angels in heaven rejoice when people are saved, verse 7. It's where God's heart is. And if I'm being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, it will bring me joy too. I will be thrilled to see people become Christian. That's why I don't hesitate to tell people to be into evangelism, to be looking for the lost, because it will actually bring you joy. Your benefit as well. This is the way to be really happy. I think we finally got to the title of the, uh, uh, of the talk. It's all right, I've got one more, one more paragraph to do, so we're almost done. This is the way to be really happy. Be involved in evangelism and you will be really happy. It will bring you joy. It's a stunning parable. And it demonstrates God's priority that he goes looking for individuals to invite them to the banquet that is the beginning of eternity in the new creation with Jesus. That he wants to take people to a place where there is no more crying or mourning or death or pain. And friends, if we won't go out of our way to invite people to enjoy that, then we have got our priorities wrong. Let's pray together. parable of the lost sheep Lord we've heard it in Sunday school we've probably taught it in Sunday school and it's such a lovely little story and yet as we understand it properly it is a devastating indictment on the church that loses its way we thank you for shaking us up 
We thank you for reminding us that every one matters. And we ask you to help us to believe it so much that we would change our lifestyle. That both as individuals and as a church family, we would go to others rather than expecting them to come to us. We pray that we would be godly, being like you, who sent your one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. May we long for our friends and our neighbours and our colleagues and our acquaintances and those we don't know but just come across to enjoy the banquet and all eternity with you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for us. He left the realms of glory.